Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Hayden. I'm Gary. Nice to talk to you both again. There's no Martin this week, he's off on his holiday, so uh, let's hope he's having a good time. But I wanted to ask you two a couple of questions. What does FOSS or open source software mean to you and why is it important? Open source is important to me because it's seeing the community come together and build things for the community's sake, right? So when I got started into programming, it was the mid to late 90s and finding example code and just even getting a compiler, right? All these things where you had to take a course, you had to buy books, everything felt, I don't want to say gatekeepy, but it was kind of gatekeepy. Whereas when I discovered open source in the early 2000s, it was just an eye opener, right? It was like, all of this is here for me to learn. And I'm the kind of person that likes to learn on my own experiment, stuff like that. So when I found that, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to, this, like, this has changed my life basically. And I'm going to give back everything I can to the people that help me get to where I am. Yeah. I had a very similar experience where open source and free software really fueled my education in tech. At the time, again, dating myself, late 90s, early 2000s, programming software was expensive. Getting access to it was difficult. But then all of a sudden, you could get CDs full of these tools in the mail or in the back of books, you know, sometimes even magazines. You know, you could even go to Best Buy and buy a whole set of CDs filled with compilers and tools and applications that other people had written and just explore. And it was completely unfettered. And having that opportunity to tinker and explore and get things running and compiling from source and learning how to patch code and then write code and then learning more about the ethos around open source, the kind of give and take nature of developing and collaborating in open source communities, even at, not as a coder, but maybe someone who files really good bug reports or writes documentation or helps organize the community in other ways. What I really found in open source was ultimately community and friends. And I think the social aspect of open source is something we don't talk about a lot, but was big. After getting into it and then having this exploration, then finding other people like myself and having this shared set of values and goals and developing friendships on top of that. I think that was what drew me into open source. Where did it all go wrong then, Hayden? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I still run Linux, of course, you know, in all its various forms. You know, I'm the WSL guy, I know. But I still run Linux on the desktop and in, on my servers. And I'm still a proponent of open source. And, uh, you know, I know I catch flack, but I have been a big champion of seeing the open source transformation at Microsoft and bringing people from the Microsoft ecosystem and helping introduce them to Linux and open source and collaboration there. And to some extent, also introducing people who have been deep in the Linux ecosystem into some of what 
the Microsoft ecosystem now has to offer things like code and open source.net. But ultimately, it goes back to that collaboration and that community and that opportunity to explore new things and then work together and build friendships. Well, the reason that I started this with FOSS and open source software is because they're, they're kind of two approaches to the same thing, like the idea of freedom being the most important. And then open source is much more of a pragmatic idea, which I get a lot of flack for saying pragmatic sometimes. But anyway, that's what I call it. And I think I'm somewhere in between. Like For me, why it's important and why I love it is because of all of that practical stuff that you said there, all, all of the just obvious benefits to everyone, but also because of the, the, the ethics. I don't think that's quite the right word for it, but the, um, the, the politics of it, maybe the idea that it's the right thing to do to make software that's open source and to make standards that are open as well. I don't necessarily place any specific value judgment on open source versus proprietary. There are obvious benefits to open source and free software, but what I value about free and open source is that, and this maybe touches a little bit on the politics, is that it's almost based purely on social norms. There is no single governing body for free and open source software. I mean, there's organizations like the Free Software Foundation and the Apache Foundation and other foundations and nonprofits and that kind of thing. What about OSI? That's kind of their, you know, their entire mission statement is to promote and defend open source. Yeah. But in terms of the scale of open source, the millions of projects, there's no single governing body. Mostly open source works because we all agree on how it should work. It's also because it's kind of autonomous, right? Think of it as like a distributed system. Everybody is doing their part and managing their state. And then somebody like a distribution comes along and they orchestrate all those things into one cohesive thing. Yeah. And you do have organizations like OSI and the open source definition that do set some basic standards. But for the most part, for lack of a better word, it's peer pressure that guides licensing compliance and very occasionally very rarely actually given how much open source software is out there do you have actually lawsuits that need to be brought it's funny you mentioned that because we've had it's been a while but um we've had to threaten legal action numerous times in pigeon because people would just take pigeon rebrand it remove the license and it's great when people follow that stuff but it doesn't always happen yeah <laughs> that's for sure but I think that social contract aspect of it is also something that I like. It's that there's just this assumption that people will follow the licenses properly and will contribute back upstream and stuff. And you are seen as a pariah if you don't do that. Even if people can't afford to get into legal disputes and whatnot, you are, as an organization, still looked down upon by the community. I think it really depends on the balance, right? So like as an end user, if you just use software, no one's going to care. But as a company, um, I'm not going to name names, but a certain company that, you know, got into a lot of hot water about selling open source products as their own product. They've done a lot that I'm aware of right now to um, try to quell that and, you know, give back to the community. And yeah, there's definitely issues where people will make assumptions that people aren't giving back their fair share, but they don't always know what's going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. 
so again, this kind of plays back to like the guilt thing we've been kind of implying that like, you know, people are only following the licenses because of guilt and stuff like that. But sometimes there's more going on there. Yeah, I don't think guilt is necessarily the right word. Obligation, maybe, is a, a better word for it. Yeah, I can see that. It's not about feeling guilty that you don't do it. It's just that you feel obliged to do it. And obligation can be a good thing. And I think open source is a great example of that. Yeah. And that's where you progress from, at least on my journey, from finding these amazing free applications and tools and then learning about the ethos around free software and the pragmatism of open source software. And I think you want to give back. And I think a lot of people would like to give back. And sometimes they don't know how, and sometimes necessarily projects aren't. This goes back to our sustainability conversation, where what kind of contributions can are you even set up to accept? But it is a unique social contract that seems to transcend cultures and societies worldwide and seems to certainly click with nerds. Yeah. We see the value in trading these bits of code and not necessarily gatekeeping them behind huge expensive licenses. But when it comes down to individuals being able to exchange code snippets and knowledge and documentation, I mean, just think about the millions of comments on Stack Overflow, people that took time out of their day to help random strangers with bugs and problems that they encountered in free and open source software that they had no obligation to do. You know, they get internet points for it, but it's just internet points. You say just internet points. I know a lot of people that live off of internet points. Yeah, most people on Reddit, for example. (laughs) Yet another reason why I don't like it there. (laughs) It's the ethos. It's the culture. It's sharing. It's tearing down walls. It's opening up platforms like what Gary's project does. It's bypassing censorship. It's doing cool things that, you know, it was software that wasn't necessarily meant to be done. I mean, within the license, of course, but, you know, getting cool new things to run and pushing the boundaries. That's why I like open source. Is security as well. And that's something that I really, really appreciate about open source is that, at least in my mind, it's more likely to be secure than proprietary software. Maybe that's naive of me to say that. And I'm sure that there's plenty of people who would disagree, but in my mind, I just rather use open source software that people can at least try and find the security holes in and fix often for free. And I just feel much more comfortable using open source software for important things. And I'm just some guy in London who, you know, whatever, there's not really any danger that I'm in, at least not yet. We'll see how politics goes, but uh, that's another story for another day. But you look at people in certain parts of the world and open source software is absolutely critical for their survival, their literal survival. And that's something that I really love about it as well. Yeah, I think the open source aspect of core components of web security, things like SSH, browsers, email, has been demonstrated to be a viable benefit of open source. That being said, having been in a position where I've had to monitor large open source projects and track vulnerabilities in literally hundreds of dependency libraries, you know, it's a challenge. Open source isn't necessarily 
a panacea to the security problems, especially when you get higher in the stack mm. and you're building large projects with dozens of components, each with hundreds of libraries and actively maintaining that, particularly from a community standpoint, is a challenge. But then again, that's why companies like Red Hat et al. exist, because you pay them for the resources to go fix those security bugs that show up in those dependencies in the software you buy. But when it comes down to individual users and the core tech that powers things like you know, GPG and SSH and Tor and applications that give people actual freedom, freedom of speech, freedom from dictatorships and that kind of thing. There's no denying that the open nature of that code is invaluable. The big thing about open source in those regards is, is like Joe said, you can go through and audit the code or, you know, you can find somebody you trust to go through and audit the code. But when it comes to security issues in general, there's always going to be security issues in software. No software is perfect. We we know this a lot from Pigeon. I've seen it in other projects too, right? No matter how hard you try, you're going to overlook something because software is complicated. And as Hayden mentioned, you've got your entire dependency tree to manage and stuff like that. But the benefit is with the open source stuff, like I said, is you can have somebody audit it. You can go through, you can find it. You can't do that in the proprietary software world. That just doesn't exist. So maybe there's a backdoor in there. You never know until maybe somebody decompiles it, which costs a lot of money, a lot of time to go through and figure out, find it and go from there. So open source from a pure vulnerability count point of view, it might not necessarily be more secure, but from a feeling more comfortable about the security of your software, I think it definitely ranks much higher. Another value of open source is it gives developers control over how other developers interact with their code. Free software in open source is generally a framework and a set of commonly used licenses that allow developers and communities to set the standard for at least how their code's used. And then we, you know, we have things like codes of conduct and contributing guides and other parts of the open source experience that defines that. And for the cool hack that copyleft, you know, GPL software was, it's ultimately based on copyrights and developers having the right to define what happens to their code. And I think it's really cool that we have this framework and these commonly agreed upon licenses and social norms that allow developers to then say, actually, I'm not going to keep this proprietary. I'm actually not going to give it away necessarily as public domain. I'm going to say, you can use my code. You can make derivatives of my code. But for, you know, in the case of the GPL, you have to share your contributions to the code with everyone else. And it's not just the benefit of the social contract, it's developers being able to set the social contract around their projects. And that is something that I think is unique that we wouldn't have in a world where it was just proprietary and just public domain free for all. I agree completely that most people don't realize that open source, at least in the United States, is actually based on copyright. And the the entire thing the license does for you is it gives you the right to use that copyrighted work. 
Um, this is something that gets lost a lot. Just, I, I don't know why I haven't studied it, but I, I see it a lot where people are like, oh, I can do whatever I want. I'm like, no, that's still my copyrighted work. If you don't follow the license, I can pull your access to the license and then you, you're using copyrighted work, which I can sue you over if I need to. But more than that is, sorry, I know I'm touch on pigeon a lot, but like, We've had multiple forks in the past and stuff like that because people don't agree with our decisions, which is fine. That's along the license, everything should go that way. But one of the other more concerning issues is we see people take our code base and put it on a different hosting provider. And then people start thinking that's the real canonical repository and it just causes chaos. And then sometimes when you confront these people, they're like, well, you should do it the way I do it. And it's, it's just, it's, it's ugly. <laughs> So, like, I, I agree that, like, we we get the abilities to set things up the way we want them to be, but that doesn't mean that people are going to respect and follow that. Yeah, there there are exceptions. But the vast majority of open source users might not even know they're using open source software. That's very true. We get that a lot in our IRC channels. People are like, oh, your support is horrible. I shouldn't pay for this. We're like, you don't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, this is open source. This is a volunteer project. Like, we do our best, right? Sometimes, you know, I want to go eat dinner and not deal with your support issue, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, we have the vast majority of users of open source software who have open source on their phones in their computers who are just going about their day, probably not even realizing they're using open source software. Then you have the open source community who's developing, engaging, and are bought into the ethos. And I think within that group, yes, you have your outliers, but the vast majority, I think, adhere to the ethos. And even if there's disagreements, which happen, and you know, that's why we have forks, <laughs> you know, right, right. And uh, they try to adhere to the common ethos. And it's that, like what you mentioned, the autonomy and the lack of a central governing body. I mean, let's be honest. Yes, legal action does happen, but the occasional violation that does happen by a random user online, it doesn't even necessarily give rise to a lawsuit. Like, is it really something worth suing over? So in the past, we've reached out to uh, like Software Freedom Conservancy or Software Freedom Law Center for these copyright issues or these uh, infringement issues. And they're like, well, did you contact them? Because 99% of the time, just by emailing them going, hey, you're in violation of our license, blah, 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 they'll fix it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the default position, right? Is that it's not about trying to bring about a lawsuit and win anything. The, the win that you want is for them to come into compliance with the license and publish their changes. Yeah, exactly. That's always the biggest thing. It's just like, you know, especially, so the, most of the software I write is GPL for that reason that, you know, I wrote this because I want it to be helpful to people forever. And that means, you know, if you take it and you make your changes, you have to make them available too, because maybe your changes are helpful to me. So just bringing them into compliance is by far the biggest thing. Well, we'd better wrap it up, but do let us know your thoughts on this, dear listener. You can email us, show at linuxdowntime.com. What do you love about open source and free software? And why is it important to you? But we'll be back in a couple of weeks then. Until then, I've been Joe. I've been Hayden. I've been Gary. See you later.